Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Chinese President Xi Jinping has hailed the country's achievements and reaffirmed reform in his New Year message for 2024. The Chinese president has also exchanged congratulatory messages with his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden on the 45th anniversary of China-U.S. diplomatic ties. China's first homegrown large cruise ship stars its maiden voyage, and media report marks 2023 what it calls an uncomfortable year for the Western nations. You are listening to Road Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Ge Anna in Beijing. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching Road Today. Chinese President Xi Jinping has hailed the country's achievements and reaffirmed reform in his New Year message for 2024. He highlighted the steady progress China made over the past year in pursuing high-quality development while achieving a smooth transition in COVID-19 response efforts. This year, we have marched forward with solid steps. We achieved a smooth transition in our COVID-19 response efforts. The Chinese economy has sustained the momentum of recovery. Steady progress has been made in pursuing high-quality development. Our modernized industrial system has been further upgraded. A number of advanced, smart and green industries are rapidly emerging as new pillars of the economy. We have secured a bumper harvest for the 20th year in a row. Waters have become clearer and mountains greener. New advances have been made in pursuing rural revitalization. New progress has been made in fully revitalizing northeast China. The Xiong'an new area is growing fast. The Yangtze River economic belt is full of vitality and the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau Greater Bay Area is embracing new development opportunities. Having weathered the storm, the Chinese economy is more resilient and dynamic than before. The Chinese president heralded 2024 as a year where the country continues to advance modernization. The 75th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China will also be celebrated. President Xi also said the country will deepen reform and opening up across the board. It will also further enhance people's confidence in development. He said China's goal is both inspiring and simple. Ultimately, it's about delivering a better life for the people. We should foster a warm and harmonious atmosphere in our society, expand the inclusive and dynamic environment for innovation, and create convenient and good living conditions so that the people can live happy lives, bring out their best, and realize their dreams. The Chinese president says these issues matter to every family, and they are also a top priority of the government. So to delve into the New Year message in China's 2024, joining us on the line is Wang Zhengshu, professor of political science at Fudan University, and Joseph Mahoney, professor of politics and international relations at East China Normal University. Happy New Year, gentlemen. Happy New Year. First of all, Professor Mahoney, let me begin with you. What's your major takeaway from President Xi Jinping's New Year message? I think the major takeaway is that China faced uh, considerable challenges, uh, exiting COVID controls, uh, restarting uh, the economy, um, and uh, advancing uh, uh, reforms that that aim for high-quality development, uh, and meeting uh, challenges associated with various headwinds, uh, which we can understand to be uh, perhaps the the property crisis, uh, the, the, the challenges associated with great power competition mm-hmm. vis-a-vis the U.S. and climate change. And yet, you know, all things considered, despite all these challenges and, and needs, uh, was able to stabilize and consolidate and move forward um, uh, and at the same time uh, seek a better balance between uh, growth and security. Now, he expressed these as, I think, uh, confidence-building achievements that should in turn be advanced with uh, supportive policies and that altogether should project China's resiliency and dynamism to both a global and domestic audience, uh, the former perhaps aimed at investors and international firms, uh, 
to encourage their continued economic engagement with China,、uh, and the latter aimed at、uh, Chinese producers and consumers. Professor Wang, how about you? What's the key message you took away from his speech? Yes, I, I personally, I think China had a quite a good year、uh, in 2023. Uh, you, you, many things are challenging. Uh, you, uh, as the world facing、uh, out of the COVID period and try to recover the economy, and in the international area, you know there's、uh, the, the competition pressure from the United States. But overall, I think、uh, the government has managed things well.、Uh, the economy has recovered, and I, I see quite a, a number of. Areas in which China's economic strength is really quite, quite, quite good, quite resilient, and in the international area, I think the I, I wrote this somewhere else as well. I think the China-U.S. relation has reached a, a ticking point where the United States is starting to recognize that it has to work with China, it has to respect China's interest and China's right to. Uh, rightful position in the world. So, so the U.S.、Uh, attitude toward China is slightly changing. So that's、uh, that's, that's that's a good sign for China's、uh, diplomatic efforts. Professor Wang, President Xi Jinping listed China's achievements over the past year, including a smooth transition in COVID-19 response efforts, sustained economic recovery, rural revitalization progress, innovation-driven development, etc. He said, "Will remember this year as one of hard work and perseverance." What do you think of his summary here? How has China been defined? Through these achievements in 2023, in your opinion?、Uh, yes, I think、uh, it, it, it was a year of hard work, and it was a year of perseverance, and it was also a year of hope.、Um, they, at the beginning of the year, you know, there were so many uncertainties regarding the economy.、Uh, the the real estate industry was、uh, having major problems in the stock market、uh, until today. Is、uh, Showing very strange signs, and I think overall there was a very big voice,、uh, international and domestically, saying negative things about the Chinese economy.、Uh, try, I don't, I don't know where this message come from, but、uh, overall there were, you know, some some messages, some reports, some discussions are very depressing. They're trying to discredit the、uh, prospect of Chinese economy, but I, I think overall,、uh, you know, at by the end of the year.、Uh, The, you, you see, the, the domestic tourism, domestic consumption was going going quite well.、Uh, the uh, automobile industry, the AI industry, and and this、uh, high tech industries are you know they're doing quite well in China. I think we just saw the figure that this year China will become the world number one exporter of car of automobiles in the world. So all this, I think, overall, you, you, there were many challenges. Uh, but uh, if you look back from、uh, end of the year,、uh, China did quite well. Professor Mahoney, what kind of China do you see through these achievements in 2023 mentioned by President Xi Jinping? Well, first, you know, I, I agree substantially、uh, with my colleague at Fudan. But uh, uh, to be frank, you know, there are, as, as he noted, some Western critics who don't think、uh, the transition was very smooth um, uh, from uh, the, the rapid dropping of controls. Of COVID controls to the spikes in cases that followed, and the fact that some sectors have not uh, recovered uh, uh, as well as we'd hoped, and, and that other challenges、uh, continue to persist. That said, if we compare、uh, these challenges、uh, in in China with those faced by other countries, both during and after the pandemic,、uh, then、uh, including what we saw in other countries with the devastating loss of life,、uh, which was uncontrolled,、uh, then I think we'll see that, relatively speaking, China's、uh, transition. Was uh, very smooth and, and has been uh, remarkable. Uh, second, uh, uh, President Xi, of course, spoke of economic resiliency,、uh, mm -hmm. but the, by, 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 by the same measure, we could speak of social and governmental resiliency.、Uh, despite、uh, the big disruptions and even the smaller ones that some in the West have brooded over, like the Evergrande property problem,、uh, everything was managed.、Uh, there were no acute crises, no unrest, no political or social instability. As we've seen in other countries, instead China stabilized and made modest progress on multiple fronts uh, in, in uh, domestic and international affairs, 
uh, laying a foundation for 2024, but also demonstrating to itself and the rest of the world that it remains uh, robust, that it remains uh, solid and dynamic. Professor Mahoney, speaking of steady economic progress, President Xi pointed out a number of advanced, smart, and great industries are rapidly emerging as new pillars of the economy. Could you please elaborate more on the three pillars of China and、uh, how will they contribute to the resilience of Chinese economy? Well, you know, I think everyone is well aware that the economy is still not where it needs to be or where people want it to be, and I think he acknowledged this with respect to youth、uh, unemployment,、uh, especially,、uh, as well as the various pressures that families have encountered uh, uh, as they seek a better life,、uh, described in terms of the need to develop better social benefits,、uh, but、uh, which are ultimately linked, it's fair to say, to、uh, economic performance.、Uh, and, and at the same time, again, we need to understand that, that there are three different challenges. That have intersected here with regard to、um, the economic、uh, situation. The first is, of course, uh, uh, the pandemic recovery, which uh, has uh, consolidated and stabilized,、uh, as well as responding to、uh, various global headline,、uh, headwinds like uh, um, um, uh, strikes from the U.S.、Uh, against technology, but also uh, uh, foreign investment. And then, you know, we still have these these、uh, old issues pre-pandemic.、Uh, Uh, of trying to move forward with substantial reforms,、uh, which of course were undercut in the first instance by Trump's trade war and other uh, uh, challenges.、Uh, but that said, I think what's clear is that、uh, where China is continuing to advance is where he said、uh, with smart and green in- industries,、um, uh, where we've seen with with、uh, EVs, but also、uh, batteries and other、uh, green-related tech. And of course, this was very instrumental in 2023, given. Um, uh, the energy crisis that we saw. I was in Europe、uh, a big part of the summer. I saw Chinese solar panels on houses everywhere I went.、Uh, so this is not only good for for the Chinese economy and Chinese growth and development, and helping China to、uh, move forward with、um, you know high quality growth in order to、uh, further expand the middle income population and avoid problems like the middle income trap. But it's also helping to uh, uh, contribute to efforts to mitigate uh, 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 climate change and other concerns. Professor Wang, what's your take? How do you look at the new pillars of Chinese economy, and how do you assess China's economic performance in the past year and in the years to come? Yeah, I I, I agree with Professor Mahoney quite to a, quite a large extent. I think the, the the world economy in China's economy is into a transition that's、uh, in, in terms of、uh, energy. In terms of、uh, manufacturing technology,、uh, and so and China has uh, uh, quite how do we say China has、uh, taken the, the the windfall in a sense,、uh, and and but that it's because China has a very strong manufacturing base, so that China can capitalize these new opportunities in terms of green energy, in terms of、uh, elect- electrical vehicles. In terms of AI、uh, automation、uh, in, in in manufacturing, so、uh, and then the 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 world、uh, outside China, the manufacturing, the the value chains are quite much fragmented、uh, compared to what you have inside China.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the world is affected by by wars, by conflict, like say, Europe and the Middle East. Uh, and the U.S. is、uh, its it, manufacturing capacity is quite uh, uh, hollow out. So, so given all this, China actually can capitalize uh, its uh, its strength, its very strong manufacturing、uh, base. So, all, so these three areas,、uh, I, I see very very、uh, strong reasons for hope for China's economic resilience. Mm-hmm. Professor, you mentioned high tech development.、Uh, the president also emphasized China's achievements in innovation, from the C919 airliner to advancements in space exploration and consumer electronics. How crucial is innovation to China's development strategy in 2023, and how does it Im- impact China's global standing in technology over the past year? You know, we there's always even inside China, people are saying China was、uh, uh, manufacturing 
big uh, Chinese manufacturer was uh, competitive mostly because of its cost and its labor, labor cost is low. It's uh, uh, and, and so uh, its environment damage China has take up. But uh, in in the recent years, the last five to ten years, China has moved up uh, the technological ladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is true that in quite a number of areas, China still in China still uh, has to rely on foreign technologies, uh, has to work with other uh, co- companies in other countries in terms of to, to 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 build to manufacture products. But overall, China's uh, capacity of innovation has. Uh, you know, comparing to to the world average or to many other countries, is actually you can say quite quite phenomenal. Uh, China can deal with uh, what I, I think uh, more or less every in every area in, when there is a need for new technology, there is a need to catch up with the technology. China can do it. It, it sometimes it, it takes a, a bit of time, takes a bit of effort, and China may make some mistakes uh, in terms of say say recent years in. In terms of catching up with the cheap manufacturing, I think there was some uh, bad investment decisions made. Uh, but overall, uh, given the time, you know, three or four years' time, China made it. Uh, and so, so the the C C nine one nine airplane is an example. Uh, mm-hmm. But still, you know, in, in that area, China has more to do. China is building uh, uh, even a wide bigger one. Oh, oh, actually, something we are not talking about, but I read in the in the foreign press that China is building another two uh, craft carriers, uh, and the technology level of those two are reportedly quite quite, quite good, uh, maybe at least on par with the U.S. one. So mm-hmm. all this, what I'm trying to say is, China is is trying to catch up, and China is trying to to move up to the frontier of innovation. Professor Mahoney, based on the breakthroughs and developments in China's science and technology last year, how do you see the general direction of China's development in this realm? Well, clearly, high tech is not only necessary for high quality growth, uh, and as I mentioned before, including to continue to grow the middle income population while avoiding mm-hmm. a middle income trap. And, and likewise, we're competing with countries like the U.S. today, uh, a tech uh, blockade and, and Cold War style tech competition. Um, uh, it's also, of course, uh, necessary uh, uh, for uh, you know, developing environmentally responsible and sustainable uh, economic uh, uh, progress uh, that, that will help uh, solve other challenges like climate change, uh, either directly or indirectly. Now, China is facing, uh, of course, as we all know, uh, risks associated with uh, the, the U.S. tech decoupling efforts. But it also uh, has some key advantages in some fields, as, as Professor Wong has noted. Uh, and likewise, uh, as I've argued uh, in, in many uh, academic fora, uh, China functions better overall as a technological society, uh, meaning that Chinese society works well together um, uh, with government and people aligning themselves uh, to solve major problems. And this is something that we don't see happening in the U.S. Uh, at all. Uh, and we can see this, of course, uh, with how China uh, responded to the pandemic. Um, and, and I think this will carry over with, with um, uh, and, and see uh, uh, continued fruits um, with uh, developing uh, competitive indigenous uh, technology. Now, uh, key breakthroughs uh, driven uh, by uh, uh, Chinese innovation will help uh, convince others uh, around the world to value uh, their tech trade with China and discourage those who followed uh, Washington's uh, uh, tech decoupling path uh, from, from uh, perhaps continuing uh, to go down that, um, that route. Uh, I, I think it, we shouldn't be surprised if we see countries uh, like Australia, uh, Japan, and, and uh, South Korea, perhaps, um, and certainly others, uh, uh, starting to hedge and, and rethink uh, some of these strategies as, as China continues to demonstrate uh, the capacity to uh, sidestep these uh, challenges that are being mounted uh, by Washington. Speaking of that, gentlemen, let's shift gear to China's links with the world. Uh, President Xi Jinping said China has embraced the world and fulfilled its responsibility as a major country in 2023. China has actively engaged with the world through events like the Belt and Road Forum, China Central Asia Summit, and other uh, diplomatic visits. Professor Mahoney, how do you view China's role in international cooperation and what impact does it have on global peace and and development over the past year? 
Well, this this clearly was a breakthrough year, and, and obviously uh, with, with the dropping of COVID controls, we expected a lot of uh, uh, international activity, a lot of visits, uh, uh, people coming and going, and, and we certainly saw that, but I think it outstripped uh, our expectations. So China has been a major player on the world stage this year. Uh, we've seen this, of course, in terms of uh, the, the incredible back and forth inter- with, the, with the most important bilateral relationship in the world uh, between uh, the U.S. and China, uh, with China holding its ground and making gains uh, despite U.S. provocations uh, aiming to undermine Chinese security, sovereignty, and development. We saw uh, key uh, uh, achievements, uh, for example, China um, uh, negotiating uh, uh, better relations between uh, Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and Iran. We saw China continuing to be a driving force in the global economy, especially in the global south through bilateral trade, but also uh, development efforts associated with projects like the Belt Road Initiative. Uh, but at the same time, we saw China leading efforts to expand BRICS, uh, to reinforce and expand the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, uh, and advancing other forms of uh, minilateralism and multilateralism. Um, Meanwhile, the U.S. Has, has been moving in the opposite direction, small block building. Uh, it's been floundering in Central Asia, the Middle East, and Africa, where China has made uh, significant gains. Professor Wong, any thoughts on China's diplomatic practices? Uh, how does this event reflect China's major country diplomacy in 2023? No, I think uh, Professor Mahori gave a very good summary uh, in terms of the diplomatic activities and uh, achievements of China in 2023. I, I, like I said, I think uh, diplomatically, China had a very good year. Uh, and, and just uh, before this program began, we heard the news that the BRICS uh, uh, officially had new three, uh, five new members now from today. Uh, and some of my colleagues work with the uh, uh, BRICS Development Bank in Shanghai, so I know some something that happened in, in that area as well. So overall, China, uh, I think China has a very big role to play in terms of uh, economic and developmental cooperation in among the global southern countries. And, and the global southern countries like Brazil, like uh, Saudi Arabia, they also have very good expectation uh, with China. They are they are willing to work with China. They're willing to, uh, they, they trust China's uh, uh, intention and ability in helping uh, many countries to come to come together to come come onto the developmental track. So, so overall, China has a very a very large space to play uh, an active role in global uh, economic and developmental cooperation, and that's very good for for the global peace and international relations. You are listening now to Road Today. We've been wrapping up 2023 and looking ahead to 2024 through the Chinese President's New Year Address with Joseph Mahoney, Professor of Politics and International Relations at East China Normal University, and Wang Zhengxu, Professor of Political Science at Fudan University. Coming up... Presidents of China and the United States exchange congratulatory messages on the 45th anniversary of China-U.S. diplomatic ties. China's first homegrown large cruise ship starts maiden voyage, and media report marks 2023 what it calls an uncomfortable year for the Western nations. You're listening to Road Today. For more, you can follow us on X. It's CDTN Radio. We'll be back after a short break. This is Road Today with Mika Anna in Beijing. The presidents of China and the United States have exchanged congratulatory messages on the 45th anniversary of China-U.S. diplomatic ties. President Xi Jinping said the establishment of diplomatic ties is a major event in the history of bilateral and international relations. He highlighted the enduring importance of mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation as guiding principles in fostering positive relations. President Joe Biden said, seeing the establishment of diplomatic relations in 1979, the connection between the two sides has contributed to the prosperity and opportunity of both nations and the world. 
Biden added he's committed to managing this important relationship responsibly. So to talk more on China-U.S. relations and where it has in 2024, joining us on the line is Shending Li, professor in Institute of International Studies at Fudan University. Happy New Year, Professor. Happy New Year to you, too. Professor Xian, the 45th anniversary of diplomatic ties between China and the U.S. was marked by the congratulatory messages from President Xi and Joe Biden. How would you assess the overall tone of this message and their significance for the current state of China-U.S. relations? Uh, number one, uh, both countries, through their head of the state, have expressed their respective uh, good wish, uh, their well, uh, 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 kind uh, wish ex- extended to the other country that uh, they really treasure this uh, great relationship mm-hmm. uh, ever officially started in 1979, and both are committed to continuously to promoting this relationship in the new year and in the years to come. Uh, number two, such a relationship has been uh, achieved through uh, a good negotiation and a great bargain, through lots of struggle, and eventually for the benefit of both countries and entire Asia-Pacific peace and stability. Uh, the leaders at that time, 45 years ago, made a crucial decision. Let's share some important differences aside. Let's work together uh, to promote cooperation in order to eventually iron out uh, the remaining differences. And today, uh, third, we are facing lots of new challenges. Some are even more challenging uh, than the two countries used to meet. How uh, President Xi Jinping and President Biden would lead both countries to beat these challenges uh, over the coming years to navigate our relationship uh, toward a better future. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think uh, both uh, congratulatory uh, messages give lots of uh, meaning to us. Professor President Xi mentioned that China-U.S. ties have weathered the storms and moved forward in general. In your opinion, what specific challenges and opportunities have shaped the trajectory of this relationship over the past 45 years? Our first opportunity. Opportunity are plentiful. Uh, initially, uh, Beijing and Washington worked together to beat uh, the Moscow, the, the then Soviet Union's uh, expansionism, and working in our region in the uh, East Asia to beat the, the then Vietnam's regional uh, hegemonism. And then the two countries worked together to beat uh, Osama bin Laden, Al Qaeda, uh, the Afghanistan originated uh, international terrorism. And these days, China and U.S. are working together to uh, manage the nuclear challenge from Korean Peninsula, from Iran, and from various parts of the region. And also to work together uh, bilaterally and multilaterally to cope with the climate, cha- uh, uh, climate change, the spread of those, uh, those uh, drugs, and uh, uh, currently uh, we also face the regional tension in Europe and in the Middle East. So both countries have a lot to work together. But in the meantime, there are also uh, challenges. Uh, if we don't handle uh, Korean Peninsula-based nuclear change well, China and U.S. may develop more distrust. And the uh, number one distrust, the source of distrust, is how to uh, uh, handle the Taiwan issue. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, this is the year Taiwan would have its uh, uh, election, quote-unquote. Uh, possibly a more uh, pro-independence element uh, may uh, uh, be elected, quote-unquote. How the U.S. would implement, the President uh, Biden would implement 
what his long uh, argued, the U.S. would not support Taiwan independence. Mm. He would respond positively to, pres- uh, to uh, President Xi Jinping uh, when Xi Jinping asked uh, President uh, uh, Biden and his country uh, when they met uh, in November last year in San Francisco that the U.S. should honor its promise by giving, uh, delivering, delivering its uh, action to prove it would not support uh, Taiwan independence. Of course, China would hope U.S. would be opposed to, rather than not to support, but to oppose to. But also, time, uh, also we know that the U.S. has its own domestic politics. Mm-hmm. The president may not be totally able to manage his entire country. He meets lots of challenges from the Congress. The Congress is not uh, uh, totally uh, controlled by his own party. So the Congress oftentimes has made lots of uh, uh, challenges, even making a major uh, uh, law uh, uh, proposal to challenge the status quo of the Taiwan issue. So this year, Taiwan would have its regional election. America would have its uh, 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 general election, presidential election. How China-U.S. Uh, could cope with would cooperate to beat those challenges? That may uh, turn Taiwan issue uh, into some explosive uh, 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 fresh point. Mm-hmm. We do need the U.S. work with China to honor uh, the jointly agreed San Francisco vision. When facing such challenges and opportunities, President Xi emphasized the future-oriented San Francisco vision as a guiding direction for China-U.S. ties. But as you mentioned, the year 2024 marked the presidential election in the United States. And we do have observed some American politicians and media outlets are promoting the so-called China threat theory. How will this situation impact China-U.S. relations in 2024, in your opinion? Well, America uh, may suspect China's uh, uh, certain action, and they may perceive some of China's action uh, may be uh, uh, motivated by some strategic intent to undermine America's leadership dominance in West Pacific. The more they think of this, the, the more they may shape China uh, to act in a way that they, they don't want to see. But similarly in China, lots of Chinese, uh, even lots of Chinese government officials uh, perceive America is a major challenge to China. And uh, uh, so China needs to uh, budget more resources to handle such a threat. And the more China would view U.S. as a threat, the more America would do in a way to uh, make uh, China's vision as a reality. So I think it's not only an issue of America. It's a mutual, mutual suspicion, mutual uh, negative interaction. We need to talk. Our president would go to U.S. I hope the U.S. president, despite his busy uh, and complicated domestic political agenda this year would come to China. And uh, despite some U.S. congressmen, they, may, they look at China very negatively, China still need to invite them to visit China. Uh, we, need to, we need to reopen the U.S. consulate in Chengdu, and America need to reopen our consulate in uh, mm-hmm. America. There is one that has been closed uh, during the pandemic time. And uh, we would... Uh, invite those who would not like China. Come to China. Take a look. You may become more disliked China after your visit. And more likely, they would understand China is complicated. There is no single word, single logic that can explain their China threat theory. So they may become more smart, more sophisticated. Then in the future, their lawmaking they would uh, uh, read China in, uh, as a real China. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing that China needs to do. We need to engage them rather than uh, not to issue visa to them uh, in order to promote the exchange and the dialogue.
Indeed. Thanks, Professor Shen, for insightful opinions and time. That's Professor Shen Dingli from the Institute of International Studies at Fudan University. China's first domestic-built cruise ship began its maiden voyage on Monday. The Adara Magic City set sail from Shanghai for a six-day trip that will take in South Korea's Jijou Island and the Japanese cities of Nagasaki and Fukuoka. Business insiders say the moment signified that the capability and capacity to build a mega cruise ship in China has become a reality. So for more on this, my colleague Zhao Yang spoke with Victor Gao, chair professor at Suzhou University. So, Victor, thank you for your time. So, China's first domestic-built cruise ship began its maiden voyage on Monday. So, first, what kind of technologies and craftsmanship does it need to build a cruise ship? Thank you very much for having me.、Uh, Happy New Year to you and to your audience in the world. I think、uh, the Virgin launch of this big yacht, Dora Magic City, the cruise line. Is a major turning point in shipbuilding in China. First of all, this Adora Magic City is very big, as long as 323.6 meters. Total displacement is 135,000 tons altogether, and it can accommodate more than 5,246 passengers and plus crew. You have many more people. And it needs very sophisticated、uh, power system, propelling system, navigation system, and a very sophisticated、uh, supply chain、uh, management system. And China by now can build、uh, the large、uh, cruise lines as Adora Magic City LNG ships,、um, and China uses that for domestic purposes as well as for export and、um, uh, exporting LNG to other countries. As well as、uh, aircraft carriers. So, in that sense, China is one of the very few countries in the world which has possessed not only technological know-how, equipment building, materials, as well as all the hardware and software to、uh, achieve these milestones.、Mm-hmm. For this、uh, cruise line industry, I think there will be huge business、uh, prospects for China and. The cruise lines China will build will not only satisfy domestic needs but also for export purposes. Allow me to say, this Adora Magic City, as far as I understand, has deployed the most modern and sophisticated technologies in all the areas that I mentioned. That is, it is a brand new, top-notch technology for the global cruise line industry. Mm. And as you mentioned, China is already one of the most important、uh, shipbuilding nations in the world. So tell us what's special for this Adora Magic City. Well, as we say, the Adora Magic City as a cruise line accommodates the requirements of the、uh, tourists. In that sense, it's very different from, let's say, an aircraft carrier, which serves the purposes in military. Purposes and the、uh, crew,、uh, crews on the military ships are highly disciplined. They are soldiers in their nature. For the cruise line, people on board are tourists, so they just want to enjoy their life. So the cruise line should not only be technologically advanced and, in terms of all the sectors involved, as I mentioned, the propelling system, power system. Um, you name it, and the logistics, for example, catering services, navigation system, and also coordination between the ship itself as well as all the receiving ports and all the suppliers involved throughout the world, and very sophisticated in terms of catering to the requirements and needs of more than 5,000 uh, passengers, tourists on board.、Mm. So in that sense. Allow me to mention one thing. In terms of the materials involved, it means that China needs to be really very advanced in terms of materials, paint, for example, as well as all the hardware and software. As we mentioned, the passengers on board 
whenever this cruise line um, sails to whichever destination, need to be fully plugged in to the cyberspace. And they need to communicate with their friends and relatives throughout the world, regardless of how far they are sailing uh, in, in the ocean, for example. In terms of all these things, China's uh, technologies for this Adora Magic City uh, is really at the very top notch in the world. Mm. So the Adora Magic City depart from its home port of Shanghai for a six-day trip. So what does the maiden voyage mean and how significant is it? How is the ticket selling? Well, first of all, um, I would say uh, people in China are not uh, very much uh, accustomed to this new uh, tradition of uh, sailing around in a cruise line. Um, however, if you go to Europe or uh, West uh, North America, for example, cruise line industry is very, very popular. I sailed from uh, Seattle all the way to uh, Alaska and back uh, on a, a very important uh, uh, cruise line uh, trip, and I thoroughly enjoy that. And I would say this maiden voyage uh, by Adora Magic City is the first in China for the Chinese uh, market, and it will arouse the interest of the 1.4 billion people in China, and it will touch shore in several cities, uh, not too far away, I hope, for this uh, maiden city. And I understand the uh, ticket sale is very uh, uh, robust, and it bodes well for the cruise line industry to start with. However, I'm very much interested in turning not only East Asia, but also Southeast Asia and further uh, to South Asia, for example, into one of the most popular uh, cruise line industry destinations, because this is relatively speaking new. And imagine if you can just sail from Shanghai or several other major port cities in China eventually in the future, two destinations in Japan, in the Republic of Korea, and southward to the 10 ASEAN countries, of course, excluding Laos, which is a landlocked, and mm. further to, let's say, Sri Lanka, India, you name it. And uh, uh, the uh, trip will not only be just one week, sometimes the trip can be months. And in the world, there are tourists. Uh, who have decided to spend the rest of their lives on mm -hmm. the cruise line. So I think uh, the potential is unlimited. Mm. And you earlier mentioned that uh, it is a major milestone. So what does it say about China's shipbuilding capability and its high-end manufacturing capability? Yes, indeed. I think in terms of the commercial orders that the Chinese shipbuilders have now received, it is the number one in the world. China accounts for, depending on which type of ships you are talking about, for, let's say, more than 50%, sometimes more than 60% of the new ships uh, are built, as well as the new commercial orders that they can uh, gather from the uh, ship owners throughout the world. In that sense, it reflects several things. One is that in terms of the materials uh, needed in a big ship like the cruise line or a cargo ship or a LG, LNG, for example, China is really very well advanced. Then, secondly, in terms of the engines, of the propelling system, of all these hardcore equipment that the ships would need to uh, stay afloat, to sail, to uh, carry things, for example, as well as in the case of cruise lines, to serve the passengers, tourists, for example, is very uh, sophisticated and very advanced. Further, a ship is like a big city. It sails around the world. And then in terms of navigation, communication, telecommunication, cyber connectivity, you name it, it is very well advanced. Reflecting the fact that China now is in the top-notch line in many sectors in the world, um, and if you apply all these uh, achievements to shipbuilding, then you can understand why China now is 
in my judgment, the most important and successful shipbuilder in the world. More advanced in terms of handling more orders than Japan and Republic of Korea, which used to be very high-quality, large-scale shipbuilders in the world. That was Victor Gao, chair professor at Suzhou University. This is World Today. Stay with us. You are listening to Road Today. A media report has observed a global shift away from the U.S.-led Western values, marking 2023 what it calls an uncomfortable year for the Western nations. According to the BBC, in the past 12 months, the U.S., Europe, and other major so-called democratic countries faced a series of setbacks on the international political stage. The article noted challenges for the West in conflicts like the Ukraine. Crisis and the Israel and Palestine issue. During a recent summit in Riyadh, Arab ministers criticized the West for double standards, branding Western government as hypocrites. Do these setbacks indicate a transfer of power balance from long-dominant Western values? To delve into this, let's have Pavel Falkenhauer, a military analyst based in Moscow. Thanks for joining us, Pavel. Thank you for having me. First of all, the article says the past twelve months have seen a number of setbacks for the U.S., Europe, and other so-called major democracies on the international political stage. None has been disastrous for now, but they pointed to a shifting balance of power away from U.S.-dominated Western values that have held sway for years. How do you read this reflection? Um, on twenty-two, uh, the uh, Western NATO and not only NATO nations came together under American leadership in a, a manner that was unprecedented since the uh, high years of the Cold War, and uh, to, to oppose Russia, to contain China. And it was believed by many in the West that the fact that they have sort of bound again together and reinforced the transatlantic link would be good enough to put down their opponents or put them into a uh, uh, place. Uh, but that actually didn't happen in 23. Uh, the Russia is very much. Very much opposing what the Western sanctions and everything. China is not contained, and this has caused a lot of head、uh, uh, scratching in the West. That、uh, what I mean, they were expecting、um, very different results in 23. It was a disappointing year for for the for the Western nations. That them just simply getting ganging together is not enough. To really suppress their what they believe is their opposition. Pavel, the article mentioned that Ukraine conflict is going badly for NATO and the EU, which have bankrolled Ukraine's war efforts and its economy to the tune of tens of billions of dollars and exposed division within the alliance. What's your take on this? How has the handling of the Ukraine crisis exposed fractures and hesitations within Western alliance, contributing to the erosion of their shared values? Oh, really? Actually, so we even thought we could be talking about even hundreds of, or more than a hundred billion of euros or, do- or dollars. That's a lot of money. And again, there were expectations that there's going to be a change of uh, uh, the overall picture on the front lines in Ukraine. That Ukrainians will, if not Outright will win the war, but at least that they're going to begin to change its nature and prevail, which again didn't happen, and that's indeed causing a lot of uh, uh, problems right now. Increasingly, problems in the West. Some nations believe that they should. Leaders believe that their course should, they should stay the course and continue, but there's growing opposition, which seems that this. Believing that this war is unwinnable by Ukraine, and that the most reasonable、uh, future policy should be seeking some kind of an agreement, a compromise, within the war 
on, as it's known in, say, in Moscow, as the dream scenario, simply freezing the present status quo and stopping the bloodshed. And that is, of course, closing creating problems because one country is going to move in one direction, others in another. Mm-hmm. Ukraine is beginning to strain the Western alliance and cause internal political strain, strains in different Western countries, including the United States. Pavel, Western sanctions against Russia was also reflected in the article. Russian economy has shown resilience to the sanctions. What does this suggest about the effectiveness of Western economic measures in influencing global affairs today? How will this affect the dominance of Western nations and its values? Well, sanctions are a kind of alternative to military action. In many cases in previous years in the 20th century, they were used to quite effectively in competition with uh, military action now since uh, it's being used as a substitute. And But it's, of course, uh, sanctions never work quickly. And sanctions can be and are avoided and bypassed, though they do, of course, cause a lot of harm to those who impose them, to those, of course, who are the target of sanctions. And there are quite a number of countries that are under long-term sanctions, like North Korea, um, present Afghanistan, Cuba, Venezuela, uh, Iran. These countries survive, but they, they do just survive. They, none of these nations are very prosperous. So sanctions, are, of course, are not, are, are, is not a very effective weapon, but it causes a lot of misery. About the Gaza crisis, Arab ministers criticize the West for double standards, branding Western government as hypocrites. To what extent has the perception of double standards in the West, as highlighted by these Arab nations, influenced the credibility of Western dominance globally? Well, there's a lot of anger in the Muslim and Western world on what's happening in Gaza, and that there's a belief that the West, Israel is getting from the West just a slap on the wrist and nothing more, that the West is not trying to really pressurize Israel to find, to, for, to have a ceasefire on humanitarian grounds. And uh, that is causing increased tension between uh, the global south and the, and the global north, especially with America, uh, which is uh, the, Israel's most prominent ally and main supporter. This is a problem, of, uh, I, but of course, I mean, if this, when this war ends, and it will end eventually, it's uh, unlike the Ukrainian crisis, this is a rather one-sided battle where the Israelis have all the Trump cards. So this will end someday. After that, there's going to be, as it happened before, after such Arab-Israeli wars, there was always problems between the West and the uh, Arab uh, Muslim nations. But again, in the future, they quite often, again, got together because they have a lot of interest and a lot of ties between them. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Pavel, for your time and insights, and I wish you all the best in 2024. That's all the time we have for this edition of World Today with Mika Anna. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.